off while we were singing, so you didn't have to listen to me. Um, so anyway, uh, as we get started this morning, uh, I want to I start with a question. I think I know the answer to the question, but you never know, okay? Um, so let me ask you this morning, is there anybody sitting here today... Now, those of you that are watching online, you can answer the question, but you won't be able to input uh, into our service unless you make a comment. But is there anybody sitting here this morning that was born in a different country? I expect that at least one hand would go up because I know him as well as I know anybody else in this room. Yeah, Mike is the only one who raised his hand, um, but you know, sometimes people, your parents were in the military and you were born overseas on a military base or something like that. Um, even though Micah was born outside of our country, he's still an American citizen. He still has all of the rights as a citizen. Well, I don't know that he can be president because he wasn't actually born on American soil. But anyway, we've already had that discussion, right? And that conversation, years gone by, we don't need to go there. But anyway, um, as, a, as a person who is a, has American parents, he gains access to American citizenship, even though he was not born in America. Before he ever set a little tiny foot on American soil, he was an American citizen. Why? Why is that important? In fact, the question they asked as we were leaving South Africa when he was like a month old, they asked, um, what, what, does, uh, what, is going, what is his citizenship going to be? And I said, well, it's my understanding he has until his 21st birthday to make that decision. Uh, I thought that, you know, no, 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 uh, you, you're taking him out of the country now, so he must decide now. I said, well, I don't think he's got the ability to make that decision. Um, and he says, well, somebody must decide for him. I said, well, then that's an easy decision. We're, we'll say that he's going to be American. Um, you know, why would you want to give up your American citizenship for South African citizenship? Did we make the right decision? Okay. Um, so we did make the right decision. Uh, why is America the place that you want to live? Why is America the place that so many people from other countries around the world want to live? Why is it that over a million people legally enter the U.S. each year? Well, in a non-COVID world anyway, that's the number. Over a million people. Why is it, regardless of COVID or not, why is it that we're standing at like a million and a half illegal entries into our country this year? Why is it that so many people will give up so much to be able to live in this country? You see, America is still a coveted place to live. We, when we lived in South Africa, people would ask, why would, you, why would you move from America to live in South Africa? I have a, a professor, teacher, friend who is yesterday left uh, Michigan and traveled to Uganda. And somebody on his Facebook post asked that very question. Why in the world would you go to that place for anything? You see, people don't understand when God sends you somewhere, you got to go. And you, you go not because it's an obligation, but you go because that's where he's called you to go and he wants you to be there. He wants you to serve him there. And so that's the most important thing for you in your life, to be obedient to the call of God. So it doesn't really matter what the country is like that you're going to. If God's called you there, that's where you go. That being aside, why is it that people want to come to America. Can I remind you this? Well, while we lived in South Africa, we loved being there. Every t- you know, we, we enjoyed the time that God had us there in South Africa. But you know what? We never felt that we weren't still Americans. We never felt that we had given up our citizenship to be in South Africa. And we probably wouldn't have if we had had to make that choice. We eventually came back to America. But can I tell you this? America is really not our home. When we lived in South Africa, some people say, well, you guys are so South African, you must, you must be South African. I mean, the only thing that gave us away is not being South African was our, our speech. Every time we opened our mouth, people knew we were Americans. Okay? 
And that was okay, but we tried to adapt. We tried to live as much like South Africans as possible. That's why I still say I'm a bulka bulka, which means I love watching South African rugby, and I've been able to get a little bit of that in the Olympics. Okay? I love watching the Proteas play, the South African cricket team. That kind of stuff is still in our blood. We love the people of South Africa that God allowed us to work into their lives and pour into their lives and they into ours and we became family. It was a blessing for us to be there. And and so when we packed up everything and left that home to come to this home, we still understood that neither one of those places are our home. This earth is not our home. In fact, scripture is very clear about that fact. Our citizenship is not in this world. Peter tells us, he says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. What does that mean? That means that you're, not, you're in a place that's not your home. You're just wandering through. So let me remind you, as we wander through on this earth, we should never become too comfortable here on earth. Because it's not our home. Peter says that. He says, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. Our text here in Philippians this morning is going to remind us that you and I as followers of Christ should not get caught up in the things of this world. So as we look at this passage of scripture, verses 17 through 21 of Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to read it together on the screen. And we're going to try to determine this morning what our citizenship is all about and what our walk should be like as those who are citizens of a different place than where we find ourselves dwelling. Paul writes this, read it with me. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Let's pray and ask God to bless our study this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you again for the truths of the Word of God. We thank you that this passage of Scripture reminds us that we are citizens of heaven and not citizens of earth, that we are to be individuals who have a walk that would tell others that our home is not of this world, our home is in heaven. Father, we ask that as we study this passage of Scripture, you'd speak to our hearts through your Spirit, that we might understand, that we might know how we are to walk and how we are to represent you in this world. Bless our time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So, in this section, Paul tells us about a couple of different walks. Ways that that people, ways that humanity walks. Uh, We first of all see the performed walk. Okay, And when we, we talk about this idea of performed walk, it's the walk that follows the examples of others with the hope that as we follow that example, it will turn out with similar results to those who have set the example as they walked down the Christian life. We also see the deformed walk. So yes, believe it or not, we're going to not alliterate this morning. We have the performed walk, we have the deformed walk, and the deformed walk is the walk that we do not want to imitate, because if we imitate that, um, it shows that we are not really following after the ways of Christ. The deformed walk is, the, is for those people who don't know Jesus as their Savior, or they're not living as though they know Jesus as their Savior. And then after the deformed walk, we're going to consider along with the Apostle Paul the idea of the transformed walk. And this is the kind of walk that is fitting for those that are strangers in this world and citizens of heaven. So as we look at verse 17 this morning, let's consider first of all a performed walk. Paul begins talking about this walk in verse 16 where he says, let us walk by the same rule, okay? Or let us use the same standard. 
Paul was, was, was encouraging and challenging the Philippian believers to let their conduct as soldiers, as they would march in line together, let them be organized, let each of them have their proper position, let us each walk as though we are representing the God of heaven, the creator, the one who has purchased our redemption. You see, the idea of a performed walk is that something takes on a predetermined characteristic. Paul is going to reveal the characteristics he wants the Philippians to have. He's also going to say, hey, you don't want these characteristics to represent you in your walk as a child of God. As a child of God, your heavenly citizenship should determine the way you walk. So first of all, Paul says to them, he challenges them, he says, track my walk or follow my example. And the idea of following my example is the idea of pursuing, running hard after. Paul realized that the Philippians needed an example to follow. So he said to them, and listen, this is a, this is a big thing. This is not something that Paul took lightly. And remember, he's also being inspired by the Holy Spirit as he writes. He says to them, imitate me. Wow, that's a lot. He's writing to people, challenging them in their Christian walk, and he says to them, follow my example. Live like I live. You know, you can't just say that if you're not serious about your walk with the Lord. You have to be on fire for God. You have to be committed to follow and to do the things of God. Paul was not saying that they should necessarily follow him in every aspect of life, but he's outlined his desire to be more like Christ in verse 12. In other words, Paul's not saying you have to travel all over the known world and preach Christ, but wherever you go, you should preach Christ. He's not saying you have to be a tent maker to be a good follower of Christ. But whatever your occupation is, you need to do it as to the Lord and not to men. That's the idea when Paul says, follow me. He's not saying, you know, take a look at my life, my physical characteristics. You don't have to wear your hair the same way, which is probably a good thing because he probably didn't have any. Um, You don't have to wear the same toga that I wear. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about as a desire to follow the Lord and a desire to have the Lord first in your life. Follow me, imitate me in that way. Desire along with me to become more like Christ. In verses 12 through 16, that was the challenge. Become like Christ. Remember we played that song last week, a little less like me, a little more like Jesus, a little more like mercy, kindness, grace, all of those things. A little less like me. In some cases, it's a lot less like me. If I want to be more like my Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, Paul wanted the Philippians to have the same desire that he had. Just like Timothy had, and just like Epaphroditus had, as he shared their examples and their testimonies earlier on in chapter 3. He said, hey, these guys are committed to Christ. These guys are committed to doing what is right. You can follow their example. You can track their example. You can pursue the kind of lifestyle that they are pursuing. I like the idea here that Paul says, join me. In other words, he's asking them to come alongside of him. They were simply joining in an ever-growing group of people whose desire was to please the Lord. People who are coming to know Christ as their Savior and then putting everything else aside and following the things of Christ. You know, we've been working on this, this thing we call the Froneo Project, okay? And we're encouraging you to memorize or scripture or at least put it in your mind. Be ready always to give a reason of the hope that is in you. To let the Word of God transform your mind, your thinking process. Read it, read it, read it. I hope you're doing that. The passage that we are reading, Barb and I, has a, has a verse that kind of goes along with this idea of joining in with others in their transformation, in their walk with the Lord. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 7. 2 Corinthians chapter, no, it is 4, verses 7 through 18. Verse 15 of that passage says this, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people. I love that phrase. 
As grace extends to more and more and more and more people. You see, Paul knew that God was going to be working amongst multitudes of people all over mankind, all over creation, bringing countless number of people to himself. So as that grace goes out and more and more people are being exposed to the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, and coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ, as the grace increases, as it extends more and more people, it increases thanksgiving to the glory of God. You see, my friends, it should be a great encouragement to us as we see the family of God growing and the grace of God becoming real in the lives of those being transformed by his great grace grace and mercy. As that grace extends, we can all join together in representing Christ in this world in which we live so others will see the change that a relationship with Jesus Christ makes in an individual's life. We should not be the same people today that we were last year, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and however far back your relationship goes when it started with God. We should be getting more and more like Jesus with each passing day. And that's what Paul says. Join me as I pursue to become more like Christ. That when we do it together, we're all becoming more like Jesus Christ. So we can all track our lives. We can all allow ourselves to be examples to others who are pursuing the things of God. Not only are we to track Paul's walk, but he also says that we are to take note of those who walk in a certain way. The word take note here has the idea of observing or, or leaving a mark. The word actually means to take aim at. Okay, In the Olympics, there's been some skeet shooting going on. Uh, and you know what? When you, when you shoot at a skeet, you have to take aim. But you can't take aim at where the skeet was. You have to take aim at where you think the skeet is going to go. So you have to focus. You have to pay attention. You have to... You have to Make sure that you're intently peering at the start of the pattern all the way through. And you, you pick where you're going to shoot, where that skeet's going to go, and you, and you hit it. You see, it's the idea, this idea of taking note has the idea of getting the target in your sights. Now, those of you that are hunters, can I ask you a question? Because I think there's people who don't hunt that think something different about hunting than people that do hunt. Is hunting easy? No, it's not easy. Can you explain to us why? I mean, isn't it just going out for a walk in the woods and hoping you see a deer or whatever it is that you're hunting, and if you see it, you shoot at it, and you pack it up, and you go home? Isn't, it, isn't that all the hunting is? No. Doug, what, do you, what have you been busy doing this summer? Hey, you know what he had on his property? Not, not over there in health camp, but they got, a nice, they got a camp. I've not seen it yet, but they've got a camp over in Cincinnati. You know what he's had on his property for several days this, this summer? A big backhoe, front-end loader, track hoe. Okay. Did you ever think that was part of hunting? Probably not. But for Doug, this year it is, so he can get ready, so he can actually get in the woods. Mike, the first day of hunting season, have you been in the woods before that? Many times. What do you do when you go in the woods before hunting season? Yeah, you're looking for sign. I mean, you don't want to spend hours in a tree stand if there's no deer walking through, through that area, right? You want to make sure that there's deer in that area. Now, Micah and I, we don't have the opportunity to go to the same, well, we do go to the same place, but we don't own the property, and we trust the other people that we're going with have already been in the woods, done that kind of homework. So it's a little easier for us. We call up Pastor Tom and say, hey, can we go hunting with you this weekend? Uh, And he says, sure, come on up. We're leaving the house at whatever time. We'll be in the woods. And so they say, you you stand over there, you stand over there, you go here. And so it's a little easier for us because we don't have to do all the work but you know what we still have to make sure that when we see the animal when we see the deer when we see that big buck or the big doe or whatever it is we've got permission to shoot when we see that coming into our area where we can shoot it we make sure that it's in the right spot we get it in our sights and we shoot and then the work really begins right because then you got to haul it out of the woods and the bigger the deer is the more difficult it is to haul it out of the woods 
Okay, you got to get into your vehicle, and if you're the only one hunting and the deer weighs 200 and some pounds, it's kind of hard to lift that thing up into your vehicle all by yourself. Okay, um, so there's work involved in getting the thing in your sights and in your target and pulling the trigger and taking it home, and then there's more work after that. You got to hang it, you got to cut it up. Now, if you're so inclined, you might take it to the butcher and say, hey, can you cut this up for me? But then, are you really getting your deer back? Probably, but anyway, um, believe me, I, I might do that this year if I get one because I cut up Micah's deer last year, and it ain't, it's not fun. There's a lot of work involved in that, okay? I suppose the more you do it, the better, the more familiar you get with it. But anyway, you see, when you, when you get something to target, to get it in your target, that's only part of the thing. It's only part of the deal. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Can I tell you this? And this isn't going to be a surprise to you, I'm sure. Living the Christian life, pursuing Christ's likeness, becoming more like Jesus, it's not easy. It's not a one-time event. It's not even just a yearly event. It's a lifestyle. It's something that we have to do day in and day out. You know what? As a hunter, it requires a crazy amount of patience. You get out there in the woods before sunup. If you have a tree stand, you climb up into your stand nice and quiet. You get all settled in. And you sit, and you wait, and you wait. Even if you don't have a tree stand, you get into your spot, and you sit, and you wait. And you can't be walking back and forth, you know, where's the deer? When's the deer going to come? Come on, deer, I'm waiting for you. You stand in a spot, and you wait, and you wait. And you hear this, is that a deer? It's just a squirrel. You hear it again, is that a deer? It's just a bird. Is that a deer? It's just my imagination. I see. Is that, is that like the eye of the deer? No, it's not. So you wait some more. You sit some more. And you take your time. You, you have to be patient. You know what else you have to be when you're out there in the woods? You have to be quiet. You can't, uh, maybe some people do, but you can't even take your earphones and stick them in your ears while you're waiting for the deer to come. You know why? Because then you won't hear the deer. You could have four, five, six of them walk by. You didn't know because you were jamming out to the music in your head. It takes patience. It takes quietness. It takes being still. You just got to wait and wait and wait. And, you know, as I thought about this, I began to think that there's something to being quiet in the Christian life and listening and waiting for God to give you direction and to give you guidance. And you know what? I could have all the greatest intentions of the world of being out there in the woods and getting a big 10 or 12 point buck. But if I'm not out in the woods, what's my chances? Zero. Can I tell you this? You can have all the desire in your life to be a child of God and be a follower of God and become more like Jesus Christ. But you don't spend time in this book. You know what your chances are? It's not going to happen. Because the word of God reveals to us what God wants us to do with our lives. How to live our life. The word of God is our authority. So if I don't pick up the word of God and study the word of God and read the word of God and learn the word of God and put it into my life on a daily basis, I'm not going to be able to perform the walk that God has called me to walk. Just like I can't get a deer if I don't get out and get in the woods. I must be in the word of God, letting it impact my life. I must be in church, listening to the word of God preached and application being brought. I must be surrounding myself with other believers who are also in the word and who can challenge me on my walk with the Lord. I must be taking advantages of doing spiritual things and and with other people that will allow me to grow in my relationship with them and with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this idea of tracking the, 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 the way that God wants us to live takes work. It's not just something that happens. We also see in, the, in this first verse of our text this morning is that we have a test pattern. 
Paul says, you have us as an example. The word test pattern meant something that is an exact representation of the original. It takes the idea of an image. It looks just like the original. We have these things in our pockets that we carry around with us all the time. You know what one of the biggest benefits of this thing is? Is you can push a button and you can have a camera right there at your disposal. I, I use a camera more now than I've ever used in my life. And I, believe me, we took a lot of pictures when we were missionaries because people wanted to see what things were happening when we were over in Africa and we came back to report. But you know what? I might be working on something and I can't quite read it, like very fine print. On the, I, I take a picture of it and I blow it up. It's amazing. I can see it's better than a magnifying glass. I, took, we, I helped, uh, we repainted a crib for Josh and Katie for Esme. And uh, there's, we put it all back together, and there's a part that's broken on the crib. And Josh said, what am I going to do? I said, well, let me take some pictures. And I took some pictures, and we're gonna, I'm going to build something that will help keep the one side of the rail up so it doesn't fall down. I mean, you don't, want the, you don't want Esme climbing up and pulling down on the crib and the thing falling down and her falling on the floor. So, we gotta, we gotta, so I took pictures, and, and I took them a, a week and a half ago, and Barb said to me last night, did you ever get those pictures? Because I used her phone. My phone was someplace else. Did, did, did you ever get those pictures? I said, nope. I took them, didn't do me any good to have them though because I didn't have them where I could use them. So now I have them on my phone and when I get time, I'll get out in the, in the garage and I'll make the piece that I need to make to hold that thing up. The picture is amazing. It, it really is nice because I can, I can look at it. I don't have to have a $350 camera with all kinds of lenses on it. I, I just take it out, I take a picture. Uh, I sent a picture to Karen last night. Did you see the deer in the backyard? Yep, I've seen it a couple times, she said. I send a picture to my mom. Believe it or not, my mom uses a cell phone. She can actually get a picture on when I send her a text message. I, I never would have dreamed that. Even, even two years ago, I would never have thought that. She actually sends text messages back and forth and pictures. She send, Well, she doesn't actually take them. My uncle takes them and she sends them. Send these to Timmy. So I have the picture of things that she wants me to see. That's the idea of this test pattern. It's an exact image of what it is we're looking at. It looks just like the original. It comes from the, the word of, in the Greek, to give blows. Now, you know what we mean by give blows? In fact, here you go, Ruthie. This is for you, okay? Last night, we're watching the Yankee game, and uh, Giancarlo Stanton, who hasn't been able to, to hit the freeway yet, uh, he hit a ball so hard that it hit the top of the wall and it left an indentation, left an impression just like the baseball in the top of the wall. The announcer says, man, that ball is going to go through that wall if it didn't go over it. And it left this big impression on the, on the wall. He gave a blow, if you will, to the wall. I brought something with me this morning. It's a piece of wood. You say, well, big deal, pastor. What's the piece of wood? Well, there's something on this piece of wood. I'm going to pass it around to a couple of people. Tell me if you can tell me what's on the piece of wood. Look at it. Flip it over because there's two different things on there. If you can come up with an idea, let me know if you think you got it. because It's kind of a test. Jill might have a better idea than you, Bill. The grandkids biting it. Uh, well, any ideas? You, you think you know? Yeah. Bill's got it. It's this. My wife lets me keep this one in the garage because we got a much better one in the house now. Um, and I'm not going to do it here because I don't want to mess up the finish. But, you know, with a meat grinder, what do you do with a meat grinder? I mean, a meat pulverizer. It's a tenderizer. You, when, you, when you shoot that deer, that one that, you know, that's got like 15 or 16 points on it, and it's probably about 10, 12 years old, and you get it out, and you get it all cut up, and you realize how tough this is going to be, you, you have one of these so that you can pulverize it, so you can tenderize it. When you, when you make chicken breast, I mean, I, I make lots of things with chicken breast, you know, but you know what you do with chicken breast? Because it's not, not the tenderest meat that there is on the chicken. Especially now, I don't know what they feed these chickens, but anyway, they're, they're, chicken breasts are like this big now. 
okay? Uh, and you can see, you can just hold it, and you can feel how yeah, it's fibrous, it's tough. So what do you do? You take this meat tenderizer out, and you start beating on it. And every time you hit that chicken breast, it leaves the impression. You can tell which side you use. I usually use the bigger side because it's easy to clean when you're all done. You use the little side, and you get all this little, you know, chicken stuck inside of it, okay? Um, So anyway, but when you hit it, you leave a mark. You leave an impression. That's what Paul was talking about here when he says you have a test pattern. You have something that leaves an impression. You can follow our example, and you can look just like Christ because we're striving to look just like Christ. The lesson here for us is that we can, like this meat tenderizer, we can let the word of God leave an impression in our life. We can let other godly individuals leave an impression in our life. And we can follow that impression. We can follow after that example that they have set for us. And notice that Paul says you have us as a pattern. He's not just talking about himself. He's talking about others who have the same desire that he has. He's talking about others that also want to be like Christ. Remember what Paul wrote over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? We referred to it, we referred to 1 Corinthians 11 earlier when we quoted from it for the communion. But in verse 1, Paul said this, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Others like Timothy and Epaphroditus and others that Paul had taken under his wing and mentored them and, and, and worked alongside of them and discipled them. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Make disciples who will then in turn go out and make more disciples. Make impressions on people who will be able to go and impress other people. And I'm not talking about impressing by setting world records. I'm talking about impressing people with Christ's likeness, making them like the Savior Jesus Christ. Paul was encouraging the Philippians to follow the example of other godly men. This challenge here serves as a twofold twofold purpose for us in the body of Christ. It reminds us of the importance of each individual in the body. You see, God has a plan for each of us in the body. And part of his plan is to help and to encourage one another in our walk with the Lord. I was talking to somebody yesterday, or not yesterday, well, I did talk to her yesterday, but I was talking to somebody a while ago, and I said, you know, we share Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Anybody know what that verse says? Not, yeah, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more, insert, gather together. Uh, why? So that you may encourage one another in the things of Christ. You see, when I, when I share that verse with people, it's not just to say, hey, you should be in church on Sunday morning. You should be gathering together uh, as regular, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not just because we want you in the seat here, but by you being in the seat here, you are an encouragement to others. You can say, hey, God is doing this in my life. God is teaching me this. God is helping me understand this. If you're not here, nobody knows that. Nobody sees that. Nobody hears that. In fact, sometimes people say, well, we haven't seen so-and-so in a long time. What's going on in their lives? What's wrong with them? You see, they assume the other. If you're not here for an extended period of time, people think that they must not be really uh, uh, following after the things of God at this point. And I explain, if I know, well, they're there, they're here, they're there, they've been doing this, you know, whatever. But when you're here in the house of God, worshiping with one another, you are an encouragement to somebody else. Hey, we've been praying for the Petrellas to be able to come back to church two weeks in a row. Does that encourage you to see Mike and Wanda sitting back there on a Sunday morning? Amen. It sure does. Because you see their faithfulness. We know that they've been faithful for the long haul and they want to continue to be faithful. But because of health issues and things like that, they haven't been able to be faithful. But now they've been able to cross that bridge a little bit and said, hey, we're going to do it. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's difficult, we're going to do it. So we're encouraged. 
by you guys being here Sunday morning. How many years, 38 years, Bill told us last Sunday, that they've been part of the church family, faithfully serving, pouring into the lives of so many other people here at Calvary Baptist Church. Are you encouraged by the faithfulness of others? That's what Paul is saying here. You can be an encouragement to others as you strive to become more like Jesus. That's part of the performed walk that Paul is talking about here in verse 17. Let's move on. You say, Pastor, your time's almost gone, but that's okay, we'll keep working. We're talking now in verses 18 through 19, the deformed walk. The deformed walk. You can tell by that word that it's probably not a good thing, right? Paul warns the Philippians that there are many that walk this deformed walk. He's not pleased that so many people walk the deformed walk. Here Paul says that uh, he thinks of the many that are walking this deformed walk. He actually weeps because they are so far from where God wants them to be. He gives a description of the deformed walk, and it's not a pretty one. Listen to what he says. He said, they are the enemies of the cross. What does that tell us? It tells us that they are wicked. These people who are walking the deformed walk, they're wicked. These enemies are the false teachers that Paul has talked about so many times. They're people that he wants to make sure that his dearly beloved Philippians aren't seduced by these false teachers. You know, <laughs> I was listening to the news this morning, just for a brief time before we turned on Christian radio station, um, I don't know, they might, they, might, they might block us if I say this. I'll just, I'll just use the word big tech, okay? Big tech says, hey, it's good for churches to be using this platform because it's all about relationships. And then they actually had a, a, a pastor on that followed up and they said, yeah, it's not really just about relationships on a human level. It's about a relationship this way. But you see, they were saying, you know, hey, we, you can use our platform, and, and that way people don't have to take time out of their busy schedule and actually go to church. Hey, we're thankful for the opportunity to broadcast, if you will, all over the world so that people can hear the truth of God's word. And we're thankful that so many other organizations and churches have that opportunity. But you know what? There's a lot of garbage out there in the name of Christianity. And you got to be careful because it's so readily available. Paul's talking about those kinds of people that talk false teaching. They preach things that aren't true. They preach things that sound a little bit like the Word of God, but they're not grounded in the Word of God. He talked about them last, well, he goes on and he says, this is what these people are like. Whose, God is, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame. You know, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 6, John reminds us how important it is for you and I to follow after that which is right. He says, we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You see, if you are pursuing the things of God, if you are in the word of God, studying the word of God, learning the word of God, and knowing the word of God, when somebody presents something that is not the word of God, you're going to have red flags. You're going to have bells and whistles going off, and you're going to say, I'm not sure about this. I better ask somebody. I better talk with another person to see what this, if this is genuine, if this is good, or if this is not. I mean, I've told you before that when uh, different groups come to my door, you know, the ones that knock on your door and leave literature, I always take their literature. Why, Pastor? So I can know what they're leaving at your door. So I can say, hey, the first part of this sounds pretty legit. But when you get, if you read it all the way through and you get to the back side and you start reading what they really want from you, it's garbage. It's not right. It's not true. It's not good. You don't want anything to do with that. You don't want to get caught up in that. Get rid of it. You see, Paul says they are doomed for destruction. These false teachers, these people who are on the deformed walk. The word that Paul uses here for destruction is an interesting word. It doesn't mean annihilation. It, rather, it means worthlessness or of no value. I've told you before about this Zimbabwe piece of money that we have at our house. 
It's like a, I don't know, a $10 billion Zimbabwean note. $10 billion. Got to be worth something, right? You know what they use Zimbabwe money for in South Africa? Plastering billboards. Now, they didn't do that for all billboards, but they made one billboard out of Zimbabwean money just to show you how worthless it, it has become. If you, have a, if you have American money and you go to Zimbabwe and you sell it on black market, you can get rich quick. That's what, they want to tra- that's what they want to do business in. Zimbabwean money is worthless now. That's what Paul is talking about here. It has no value. Robert Leitner explains it this way. He says, ruination by separation from the presence of God and eternal judgment. That's what destruction means. They're going to bring ruination upon themselves by being separated from God and eternal judgment. And we can add to that in a place called hell. That's where these kind of false teachers are going to spend eternity. Separated from our holy God unless they repent and follow after him. He goes on to say that they're disastrous for the body. Whose God is their belly is the phrasing that he uses. You see, these people were driven by their own sensual desires. These false teachers, they're in it for what they can get. They worked hard at gratifying those selfish desires. Various New Testament writers describe these individuals in the way that their appetite, their belly is what they're looking out for. They're only concerned for what they can get out of it. He goes on to say, not only are they destruction and disastrous, but they're also detestable, whose glory is their shame. These enemies long for the spotlight. They want to have their name and lights. They want things to be done their way. They were doing things that they should be ashamed of, and they were saying, hey, look at how good I, look at what I'm doing, follow me. And really, what they're doing is awful things. That's, that's what they're like. That's what these enemies are like. He goes on to say, Paul does, is that they're worldly. They've set their minds on earthly things. They're not concerned about eternity. They're not concerned about God. They're not concerned about things that are heavenly. These false teachers are focused on the earthly things that they thought they could do in order to make, gain merit with God. Whether it was keeping certain feasts, whether it was performing certain rituals, they were not teaching that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. They were teaching something different, something religious even. Keep the law, get circumcised. That wasn't the way that God wanted you to be right with him. That was an external show. The heart had to be right before any of that other stuff would matter. Paul rightfully taught that it was by faith through grace and not of works that one comes to be justified before Almighty God. Well, let's wrap this up this morning with with a look at the transformed walk in verses 20 and 21. Paul tells us what the difference is between those that strive to follow the example of godly people and to walk in a manner that is pleasing to God and with those that have the deformed walk. The difference is their citizenship. Those who desire to please the Lord in their walk have been transformed. They are, they, they are citizens of heaven. They're no longer citizens of this world and captured by the allurements of this world, but their citizenship is in heaven and their desires are to please the one who abides in heaven. What a difference from those whose minds are set on the things of the earth. You see, those who have a deformed walk, we've just described them. They're wicked, they're sensual, they're evil, they're bad. But as those who have a transformed walk, listen to this difference. There's an anticipation. Paul says, we eagerly wait for the Savior. We're waiting. We're longing. We can't wait to see Jesus' face. Notice again the stark contrast between the deformed walk and the transformed walk. Those of the deformed walk are waiting for the pleasures of the world. Those of the transformed walk are waiting for the person of Christ. What a difference, the pleasures of the world versus the person of Christ. You see, the pleasures of the world, they're passing, they're fleeting. They won't be with us for a long time. But what does John say? Again, you know this is one of my favorite verses. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. I will be like him because I will see him as he is. Man, that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting to see Jesus. And that's our desire. 
That's what makes us walk the walk we walk. You see, the imminent return of Christ for his bride is not some mystical, magical escape from the trials of this life. Instead, it's a purifying pursuit that we're engaged in. And it results in the growth and readiness of seeing Jesus face to face. Not only do we have an anticipation in our life, but there's adaptation in our life. And longing for that adaptation, Paul says, who will transform our lowly bodies. Are you ready for this? Can you handle this? I'm not sure. He will transform our lowly bodies. This word transform means to change the outward form of something. So Paul describes this change over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We know that chapter. We love that chapter. We call it the resurrection chapter. Listen, as I said, I hope you can handle this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 54. You don't even have to turn there. Just listen to what Paul says. Now this I say, brethren. We're talking about transformation, right? This I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, this, this body, this mortal body, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. That's a clue to start getting excited, okay? Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump for the trumpet will sound. No doubt about it. It's going to happen, my friends. The trumpet will sound. And the dead will be raised, listen, incorruptible. For this corruption must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, man, can you say it with me? Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus! Amen! To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. Wow! Our lowly bodies, Paul says, are going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ's glorious body. Listen to this. Then, when after the rapture, this literal transformation takes place, every child of God will be made like the Son of God. Oh, man. doesn't matter where you are. doesn't matter where you're going. It matters that you know Jesus because our end destination is then the, the heaven with God for all of eternity. No more will we have the limitations that we now experience in our lowly bodies, which have been humbled and impacted by the disease of sin, that which separates us from God. Our resurrected bodies will be like Christ's, and our sanctification will be what we call glorification. We'll be like Jesus. It'll be the beginning of eternity. Now, some of you may be sitting with your heads, uh, sitting there, uh, and just your heads spinning. Pastor, how is this even possible? How does this take place? Well, Paul goes on to tell us. It's, in fact, it's awe-inspiring what Paul says. He says, the, it, it's according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. How is my mortal body going to be transformed into immortality? How is my corrupted body going to be transformed into incorruption? Well, according to the power by which he is able to subdue all, subdue all things to himself. Paul wrote about this incredible power over in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. He was talking about another unbelievable event. Listen to this. He says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us? Toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. There's this idea of the mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in in heavenly places. In other words, Paul says, the power that will transform this mortal body is the same power that raised Jesus' dead body from the grave. Not just raised him from the grave, it raised him from the grave, it brought him to life, it allowed him to ascend back into glory, and he sat down at the right hand of God, and he took his rightful place where he belongs. That's the power we're talking about. Can, that, can anything stop that kind of power? Not a chance. Not a chance. 
by the same power that raised Christ from the dead, God is going to change our sin-cursed bodies into the glorious likeness of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. That is, you know what I'm going to say, that is awesome. Five or six gold medals, doesn't even stack up. Good job. Good on you, Katie Ledecky. Way to go, Caleb. What's his last name? Dresser, Dressler. Good for you. And, the, and the, the news people, they want to say, show us the gold medal. Show us the gold medal. You know what? Show us Christ. Show us the Christ-likeness change in you. That's so much better. And it lasts for eternal, eternity. Wow. What more can be said? Paul urges us to walk in such a way that others can see it and that it's evident that we are striving to become more and more like Jesus Christ. He explains that others are following the example of godly people and challenges the Philippians to take up that role of being godly and live in a godly lifestyle so others can follow your example. You and I, we've been challenged to shake off the things of this world and to keep our minds focused on the things of Christ, the things that come from the word of God, so that our walk would not be a deformed walk, and it wouldn't even just be a performed walk, but that it would indeed be a transformed walk. You and I want to walk so others can see the image of Jesus Christ reflected in who we are. Just like that board that's been passed around reflects the image of this meat tenderizer, my life and your life can be a reflection of who Jesus is. And when our life reflects that, others will see it and others will know that we are indeed followers of Jesus Christ. Let's not be deceived. Let's not be led astray by those who are not part of the body of Christ but want you to think that they are. Let us be those who follow after the things of the word of God and we're wholeheartedly set on becoming more like Jesus Christ. Our gracious heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you so much for all that you do in our lives. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes uh, we, we don't want to walk that path because it's challenging and it's hard but by your spirit who lives within us, you enable us to stay on that path, to stay committed to the ways of Jesus Christ. So we ask, Lord, that you'd help us to stay on that path, no matter how difficult it might become, that we remain following hard after our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.